it's uncontrollable. And I think with our sexuality, so all of those things combined, when we think that pleasure has a best before date, and we think that sexuality is linked to beauty, then we're setting ourselves up for failure. And, and it's a, it's a lose-lose game. This is Awakened Love, the podcast, and I'm your host, Angel. This is a space where we get real, real about sex, love, and awakening. So strap in, let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened beings, and welcome to another episode of Awakened Love. Today we have Erica Olsborn, who is a sex and birth coach. She specializes in helping women and people with pussies to reclaim their sexual confidence, and her own sexual healing journey is what inspired her to make a move from her career in nursing into the career of supporting sexual health, and I'm so grateful that she's here with us today to give us all the juicy tips and sexual expansion. Welcome, Mama. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I want to kick off with a pretty deep, powerful question, but feel free to answer this however feels true to you. Who is Erica Osborne? (laughs) 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 So... It's interesting that you asked that question um, because last, was it last year or the year before? I think it was a year before, two years ago. I was asked that question um, as I was going through a major identity crisis mm. uh, and it felt really painful um, mm. not knowing being in that whole like uh, breakdown aspect of an identity crisis rather than the build-up phase yes Mm -hmm. and now it feels kind of fun because now I still don't I don't know how to answer that I don't know who I am (laughs) yes but it feels like an exciting building phase Um, and so a spiritual part of me says, who the fuck would answer, like, who would, who the fuck would ask that kind of question? (laughs) Um, (laughs) and the, (laughs) and the, like the, the civilized person, uh, who's like here to present and talk about a certain topic can of course say like I'm a sex coach from Sweden. Mm -hmm. I'm in my Mm -hmm. mid thirties. Uh, I have all these labels, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, all these experiences that contribute to the makeup of who we are, Mm -hmm. but on a deeper level, the experience of not knowing who I am and feeling a big void inside of me is also quite present because it wasn't, it was not so long ago, ago that that really dominated my internal experience. Yes. Um, So... Does that make sense? (laughs) Perfect. Beautiful. And I think you brought up a really powerful point, which is this frequency of I don't know. And a friend of mine who's been on the podcast, Sa, and he's actually going to be coming back on the podcast, said to me recently that he's a Buddhist teacher. Um, And he said, Hmm. you know, the quality of our liberation is the quality of our curiosity. And I felt that in you when Hmm. you, when you were willing to say, you know, I don't know. To me, that feels like 
a quality of curiosity uh, and honoring mm. that that can also be extremely painful to be in that, to be in deep relationship with uncertainty. Uh, and so I'm curious yeah. on that note, I'm sure many people listening can resonate with that feeling, right? Like who am I? And what is that question? There's the question in relationship to like society, like who am I? But then there's like the deeper spiritual yeah. question, who am I? And so for anyone yeah. listening. And in perhaps, my work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. No, and in my work, there's also the like, who's my sexual? Like, like who am I sexually? Um, yes. That, yes. I love that. We're going to get into part that. Of it as well. Yes. Yes. We yes. <laughs> well, we could actually twist that. My question was going to be, what would you say to people listening who feel like they don't know who they are? But let's, let's add that, what you've said. What would you say to people listening who feel like they don't know who they are sexually? Uh, well, I think what you said was really beautiful that it, it, um, there's a spaciousness for curiosity. There's an invitation for curiosity. And so if you don't feel, if you feel like you don't know yourself sexually, or if you feel like you've been focusing on one type of one particular kind of sexual expression or relationship or dynamic and it feels like it's it's stagnated somehow then there is an invitation for renewal or for Mm. questioning and exploration and experimentation Mm. so if you don't know who you are then um then that's a that can be a really good thing yeah (laughs) yeah Well, it is. And, and when it comes to our sexuality, what a lot of people feel and what I felt before I embarked on this journey first as a, as a pure, from a pure selfish reason of wanting to learn because I was really lost and limited in my own, in my own sexuality, uh, before I even thought of it as a, as a kind of career path, um, is that, Oftentimes we think there are no solutions to sexual problems because sex is just meant to automatically function or work or it's something that's innately human and it's, it's, it's kind of natural or, and so we just ought to know. Mm. You ought to know who you are sexually. You ought to know how to have an orgasm. You ought to know how to have the best sex ever. You ought to know. Just like anything that we can do as humans, like swim or ride a bike or speak, you actually have to learn. <laughs> yeah. And someone have sometimes someone have to guide you or give you hints or simply the permission to figure it out. So to anyone who yes. doesn't know, I say you have my permission <laughs> to explore it and figure it out. Yes, I love that. I feel like you're pointing to this idea of growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, which seems to be this delusion we're under collectively sexually, as you said, like we ought to know this fixed mindset that's so opposite to anything supportive for allowing us to grow. You touched on this idea of um, like phases sexually and in our sexual identity or favoring a certain part of our sexual identity. Something that clients will often bring to me is this um, feeling that Uh, they were a certain way sexually, like they really knew their sexual identity. But then once they're in partnership and they're kind of over the honeymoon phase and they're into that, you know, um, let's just say they're over the honeymoon phase and shit's getting real. 
they feel like they don't know who they are sexually anymore all of a sudden. Do you know what I'm saying? And could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So there are different sort of layers to understanding that. Uh, It could be that when you're single or when you're in a honeymoon phase, um, although it feels really authentic in a way, it can also be not performative, but it can be, it's kind of like, well, yeah, sometimes. And that's not necessarily (laughs) a a bad thing because role playing and performing a kind of role can be actually really, feel really liberating or fun or adventurous and give you a really positive experience. Um, It's kind of like when you go to a party and you're like looking your best and behaving your best and having someone (laughs) you're so interesting and everyone's like, wow, who's Erica? And then they don't see the bitchy, nagging, like, you know, petty Erica that sometimes come out when long, you know, or like the tired and the, yes, you know, the, all of those things. So when we're single and when we're in the honeymoon phase, we tend to act on, we act out our best and we often turn up the dial on that. And also it feels like a party. It's like a constant party. Mm-hmm. And then the party ends <laughs> or like, you know, and you have to clean up and you have to, you know, be there for the 24 seven kind of, not just a fun party. So, or a season, like it's a summer experience, but then fall and winter comes. And so it's, it's a seasonal shift in a relationship when we move out of the honeymoon phase and, and things get real. And so when things get real, all, the, all of a sudden, not only are we maybe not behaving our best, but we're showing, showing all sides of ourselves and complacency and things. So there's that. Um, and then there's also intimacy blockages, attachment styles, um, different sexual or erotic blueprints and maybe they're matching or mismatching communication styles like there are so many different layers to the sexual dynamic that comes through and that impact also uh, a lot of imprinting around who we should be and how we should behave in relationship gendered uh, socialized and gendered roles that we quite unconsciously start behaving like and expressing ourselves from add children and parenting uh, it adds a whole other layer of complexity and oftentimes in all of those things there are little like micro blockages or micro limitations that accumulate to sometimes big walls sometimes small walls and and oftentimes people have absolutely no awareness or knowledge about this. So it just feels completely, it's like trying to speak a different language. And you're like, what the fuck are you saying? Like, I don't understand my body anymore because I, I'm literally not understanding what my, how to communicate with myself and how these things impact my sexuality. Yes, I love that. So, um, and also it has uh, a lot to do with um, 
the the level of freedom and expression of different sides of ourselves that we allow allow in a relationship as well um because we can limit limit ourselves but we can also limit our partner a lot and expect them to behave in a certain way and if they don't we shame them or like we laugh or we mock them and they're like oh well that was my <laughs> adventurous side i'll never bring her or him out again because mm. i just felt super unsafe um mm. and so we limit ourselves and we can also block creativity and curiosity and expression and fun and playfulness by by not having awareness around actually the the necessity of those qualities in a relationship for sexuality to thrive over a longer period yes 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 sister preach something i say often <laughs> is when novelty and hormones fade we need skill and devotion. And it seems that mm. that sounds along those lines you were sharing. You know, there's so many different layers. There's our attachment, there's our communication style, there's how repressed we are or how we project that repression onto our partner. And there's so many layers to it, but it's kind of exciting, right? Because it's such a fertile ground for spiritual growth when shit gets real. As you say, when the party's over, <laughs> you touched on something yeah. and I want to loop back on it because I saw you write a post on it recently. Uh, the idea of sexual seasons and that as kind of a format for understanding ourselves, our sexual identity a little more. Could you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah. So the party's over and like all, everything that I just said <laughs> maybe sounds really negative and like, <laughs> like not very hope inspiring. So another way to talk about it is through the lens of the sexual seasons that maybe feels a little bit more Mm, like cyclical and not so doom and gloom because it's not it's mm -hmm. like you said it's devotion and dedication and you get very far um by simply deciding that sexuality is important and then mm, accepting that it won't feel necessarily natural spontaneous or easy all the time but a commitment to sexuality and a commitment commitment to pleasure can help you move through a lot of blockages even if you don't know what they are and even if it feels um hard just like going to the gym you if you've decided you're gonna go and you show up and it's the same with sex and pleasure uh of course you know you should never force anyone or like there shouldn't be like a coercive vibe to it but still a decision so the sexual seasons help us understand that our bodies aren't machines and we can't expect them to operate like machines. And it helps us see our sexuality through that cyclical um, rhythm that nature has or the climate, well, that nature has with summer being very like expressive and it's like it's the orgasm and it's the fun and it's the the teep the peak of pleasure and after that after the orgasm or after a peak experience you need to move into fall and there's a, a rest and integration um and there's winter when you need to be in in yin or sleep or integrate or hibernate so it can explain why sometimes uh with your arousal you're not always horny. Nothing's changed. There's no conflict. There's no breach of intimacy. There's nothing has happened. Everything's normal. And you just can't figure out why you're not interested in sex. You're not getting turned on. And you just feel like you feel like you're, you're frozen or like you feel like you're in winter. And, mm -hmm. and what you need is to rest. What you need is to say, Hey, let's take a three week break or let's take a two week break. 
And I just, I just need space to be with whatever this is so that your body can rest because it's, it's pretty intense to, to be, to live with someone, um, <laughs> to be around them all the time. And you're like, I just need some space and, and yeah. let my body rest. And so normally, or usually what happens, unless you have like deep trauma and you're constantly in a state of winter and freeze, what happens is naturally you will kind of move through it. And then you enter spring and things starts to wake up again and you're feeling little fireworks in your genitals or you're seeing, you're looking at your partner like, oh, I remember why I was attracted mm -hmm. to you. Like, I see you, I see this. And, and then again, you're back in spring and then summer and you're, you know, so you can see that on, um, you can apply that perspective on your arousal and your sexuality sort of through, with a bigger picture. You can also apply it to a woman's menstrual cycle um men, yeah the menstrual cycle and you can also apply it to a single sexual experience where winter is kind of like you're not turned on and then you move through spring you're like oh okay maybe i'm getting into it um spring is oh, sorry summer is the orgasm or the peak pleasure and fall is the integration afterwards mm. so it's a way yes. to normalize just that your body is a body and not a machine yes. and that's okay. Yeah. I really love that because I think that we pathologize if we're in winter, as you yeah. were like saying, it's like this idea or something must be wrong with me or wrong with my partner or wrong with my relationship versus this capacity to just honor the needs of, I need space. Uh, and I think that maybe for many people listening, and I definitely know for myself, there's been periods in my life where I don't recognize that it's okay yeah. for me to want that space. And so I think that I have to push through. And so there's this kind of, um, not honoring of what, what I actually need. And then it's almost like you get stuck in winter. Yeah. Do you, do you notice that people can get stuck in certain seasons? And if they do, how do you support people to kind of transition into that sort of more natural flowing cycle through the seasons? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people can get stuck there and oftentimes it is the lack of acceptance and lack of acceptance make get, gets us stuck in everything, right? Like, <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's, that's like the, one of the core practices of life is acceptance, and then things move from there, all right? Um, but yeah, accepting that you're in winter and acknowledging it, validating it, and not pathologizing it is always the first step: clarity, acceptance, and um, and compassion for yourself. If you're in winter, it's actually a really good place to start. So it's not a bad thing. It's, it's a really good place to start in if you're in winter and to really honor it and then do gentle practices or gentle um, pleasure affirming or life affirming practices, basically things that bring you gentle, soft, sensual joy, goodness, pleasure can help you plant little seeds in winter and help mm -hmm. like thaw the the frozen um the frozenness or the the that experience of of stuckness uh you can get stuck yes. in in spring too uh with never reaching peak state experiences or women who have who are pre-orgasmic that's basically a, a a spring stuckness that you never mm -hmm. reach you never surrender you never get the full experience the full orgasmic 
experience. You can get stuck in summer, always chasing the party, uh, always wanting, like focusing too much on the orgasm, for example. That's a kind of summer stuckness or summer um, over like over focusing on summer, which is basically our society as a whole. Um, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Like hustle culture is like summer on crack. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and you can also get stuck in fall, uh, both wallowing in pain and victimhood and never really integrating experiencing experiences whether they're negative or positive and being stuck in a kind of always churning and turning and processing, but never allowing yourself to move forward, forgive or rest. Um, mm. So, or not wanting to let go of summer also and being in that weird limbo state. So they are there to be honored and understood and also there to, and they can also, you can also get a little bit stuck in them and then it's good to have um, some help to move through them. Yes. There's so many threads I want to pull on, uh, but I'm going to pull on the last one. You said this um, inability or unwillingness, uh, conscious or unconscious, to let go. Uh, So what would you say, we've all been addicted to what the dick did (laughs) when you're in a toxic relationship or maybe the sex is real good or whatever it is, but you can't let the person go. What would you say or what advice would you give to anyone listening who is perhaps in that situation for whatever reason and is having trouble letting go? How do you know when to let go? And when you know, but you can't seem to, how how can you help yourself to let go of these relationships that are maybe not so good for us? Mm. Well, it's a, it's oftentimes a complex, a very nuanced situation, right? For sure. I think the first step there is something that we already mentioned, which is acceptance, accepting that you are addicted or whatever you want to, like however you want to label it, acceptance of that fact will give you a, because oftentimes we, we fight that as well. Yes. We don't want to admit to ourselves, and that keeps us in that really addictive energy as well, because then you're feeding it constantly as well. So accepting that is such a powerful first step, because then what you're doing is you're basically getting a little bit of an outside perspective, or you're able to a little bit more observe yourself in the cycle that you're spinning. And Mm -hmm. really question the thoughts you're thinking, the actions you're taking, and how you're feeling after those actions. Um, And see, does that really make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. So that's on a kind of intellectual or mental level. Um, We can also be very... um, Again, it's complex, right? Because it can feed into attachment and satisfying really deep childhood needs. Um, it can, a lover that is so intoxicating can be, you know, giving you an, an experience of, you know, being loved by a father figure or, you know, being filled with love that you have never been able to give yourself or receive from parents or like there can be so many different uh 
intoxicating or addictive qualities from a partner. So just understanding what, how you are getting intoxicated is like, what drug are you on? What is it? Yes. (laughs) Yes. hundred percent. And, and then seeing and remembering that you could survive without it before you met Mm -hmm. this person and then seeing, can I satiate myself with that somehow? And if that is a sexual thing, then I would advise you to start fucking yourself and try to give yourself the same kind of ecstasy that that partner is giving you. Or if they are activating a part of you that you normally don't have access to with other people is looking at how can I, how can I work with embodying or allowing and giving permission to this archetypal part of me to come out without the need of it being activated by this particular person. Yes. Yes. Self-sourcing. I love that. It's funny. I was having this conversation with a client this morning and we were really talking about it like a drug. You know, you got to start to recognize that you're looking for that fix to get that hit, but are you willing to pay the cost of, of the, the downward turn or the fall season that might be like a shadow fall? Um, yeah. And what you're saying and what I think is really important and, and I was expressing as well is to understand like what's the deeper underlying need as you're expressing. And this is a strategy for getting that need met. Maybe not a very healthy, integrated, empowering strategy. Is there another way to get this need met? I love what you said. Fuck yourself. <laughs> for women who have no idea what that might mean or look like, can you talk a little bit to fucking yourself and learning how to fuck yourself real good? Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's this, um, there's this thing, I don't know if it's a, if it's a sort of accepted or if it's a saying, I don't know if it qualifies as a saying, but there is, uh, one can say if you, if you can't talk about sex, don't have sex, you know, with a partner Mm. or with a lover. And I like to add to that. If you can't fuck yourself, don't fuck other people. Um, (sighs) Ooh, let that land, people listening. <laughs> sorry. Why sorry. is that important? Why well, is that important? It is important because your your primary sexual relationship is with yourself. And so I like to use the analogy or the metaphor. I, I'm not a native English speaker. I never know which one it is. So I always use both. <laughs> this is an analogy <laughs> and a metaphor. <laughs> um, <laughs> I should probably look it up. Um, but this, think of your sexuality or your genital, your pussy, your cock, whatever, but especially for women, and especially for women, this is important because we've been socialized to not feel empowered and autonomous and sovereign in our sexuality. We've more been socialized to feel like sexual servants for men. Mm. And so yes. if, if you're operating as an adult woman from a teenage servant's kind of mind, then... I don't care how how confident it looks, it's not deeply rooted in a place of independence, true sovereign independence and empowerment. Uh, and I know because I, I fucked like a, f- a teenager for 15 years and faked all of the orgasms. So I'm, I, I have, I've come to terms like I have with a degree that myself. In this. And I've de- <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so I know. And if you think about your pussy or your sexuality as a house and you're not 
fucking yourself, like you're not living inside of that house, then you're inviting people into like an empty space where there's no furniture and no one's home mm. and maybe there's no electricity and you're like in like cracks in the, you know, leaks and cracks and, and the guest is like, Ooh, this is a spooky house. Like no one's home. Like who lives here? Mm. What? No, I'm out. Mm. Whereas if you really know how to please yourself and touch yourself and feel shamelessly embodied and accepting and celebratory of your sexuality. You know how to give yourself pleasure, not just take pleasure from yourself, uh, but truly give pleasure to yourself. And maybe yes. fucking is not the quality that you resonate, but I would say it's also valuable to not only make love to yourself or like neutrally orgasm or masturbate but also it's it's valuable and it can be important to own and almost like hone like the quality of fuck with yourself as well then if you think of the house it's like it's it's decorated, it's warm, the lights are on, it's super wonderful, maybe like there are good smells and plants and like the whole ecology inside, like the environment inside of that house is thriving and it's wonderful and to invite people over. The fridge is full and there's drinks for everyone and like whatever you want, you can have it. Feel at home because it's, mm -hmm. there's someone inhabits that place and it really feels like a home. And so that's why I say it's important to fuck yourself. It's important to be able to feel that way with yourself because then when you do it with someone else, it's coming from a, 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 a purely, like a pure and, a, and genuine way. And I don't mean pure in the puritanical, like virginal, innocent way. I mean pure as in it's coming from knowing, knowing, knowing your yes. parts and pieces less hidden agenda of trying to just get or, you know, because I think that's the thing about this sexual servitude that you describe is if we're in sexual servitude, it's usually because we're trying to secure something, right? We're trying to get something in an underhanded way. So I yeah. love this idea of sexual sovereignty and fullness and soulfulness. And I think yeah. as well, when you are learning to fuck yourself, learning to make love to yourself, learning to fill and inhabit the home that is your pussy and sexuality, such a good analogy, metaphor slash. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, there is a soulfulness. There's a, there's a, um, you know what you want and you know what you need and you know what you like. And I think that there's, that's a power that is so underestimated. Um, you did a post recently and you've kind of touched on it here. So I want to go deeper about ageism and how yeah. that really affects our ability to sexually thrive at every age and stage. And so you kind of described a little bit here about, you know, I feel like our society really focuses on maiden sort of teenage adolescent sexuality, which is this, yeah, I don't really know what I like. Maybe I should just try and please you. Um, can you speak to a, a few of the other stages that we can go through as we age with our sexuality and what does it look like to, to really thrive at every age sexually? Yeah, absolutely. Before I do that, I just want to tie back to something you said about sexual servitude. It's to, um, it's to get something, like get validation, but it can also be to avoid something. It's to avoid yes. shame. It's to avoid rejection. It's it's to avoid um, whatever, something. And oftentimes yes. when we're in our formative adolescent years, most of the times where it's such a balancing act of 
fitting in and approval and validation and also a lot of avoiding you know slut shaming and rumors and all of the all of those complexities and so there can be a lot of avoidance in that as well and 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 that's really powerful to see like what are you trying to get yes. and what are you what um, what discomforts are you trying to avoid by mm. being so appeasing and pleasing and and then once you know that it's really beautiful because it is a powerful thing to give in in sexuality and I you know with my clients and in my own sexuality as well there is a there needs to be a focus on that and it's a healthy thing to give yes um absolutely Generosity. and to be serving and 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 to be generous um but from what place and and um yeah so yeah but yeah it's so come from it, for sure I think that like yeah we if we actually are in servitude we're less likely to be in gener generous because yeah. there's that resentment so we can kind of the pendulum swings we might awake up to the fact that we've been in servitude and particularly this can happen actually over long-term relationships yeah. and you're in that performative servitude and then you're like fuck this I'm over it and then we think we don't like sex or we resent our partner and so yeah it's a, it's a really actually such a good point what are we avoiding within ourselves um, and actually the, the purity and the power of generosity. Um, yeah. so yeah, thank you for that point. And, sure. and let us, let us know, let's move into that idea of like, how can we thrive at every age sexually? Yeah. So you have to make peace with your aging. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little thing. Just a little thing. Uh, and, uh, and that can be hard depending on where you live and whom you hang out with and all of those things. Um, but Sexual thriving um, is possible at any age. And it's such a pity because we don't see really people, I would say people over 30 having sex or being sexual or sexy or erotic in films, maybe in like alt films a little bit, but especially not in mainstream media culture uh and and representation matters so we know that what yeah. we what we see brings a sense of normality and makes us feel represented and like we're normal and it's okay and all of that so um and because our society is so fascinated with youth and um the the kind of beauty that is very young, let's say. And for sure, like young, like untouched, you know, faces, beautiful faces um, without signs of whatever aging or wrinkles and all of that. Yes, it, there is, it has a particular kind of beauty and magnetism to it for sure. That kind of youthful energy is very intoxicating and you you want to consume it like you want to eat it because it's so powerful but when it's the only kind of beauty that is represented or portrayed or uplifted or um or celebrated then it gets very skewed and as we age and especially if you if you have children and uh and several children maybe you inevitably are going to experience shifts in your body that you cannot control. 
And I think the lack of control around aging is what causes a lot of anxiety in people because we yeah. we can control pretty much everything else. We can't control our mortality and we can't control the decaying of our bodies. We can try to prevent it and we can definitely alter it invasively, non-invasively with all all kinds of creative <laughs> ways these days. But it's it's uncontrollable. And so there's that. And I think with our sexuality, so all of those things combined, when we think that pleasure has a, a, uh, a best before date, and we think that sexuality is linked to beauty, mm. then we're setting ourselves up for failure. And yeah. And it's a it's a lose lose game. Well, it's a lose win game. It's a lose for us, and it's a win for people who capitalize on it. Um, mm. And so, what I like to the message that I like to just convey and hopefully inspire you to feel is that your pleasure your your pleasure is truly ageless. And pleasure doesn't discriminate. It doesn't give a shit how you look <laughs> or like where your boobs are at or your fat or your face or the wrinkles or whatever it is. Pleasure literally doesn't care. And your nervous system doesn't care. Now it is, it's kind of scientifically proven. Research has shown, studies have shown that how we think about our bodies, how we think about our, our genitals impact our levels of pleasure, but pleasure itself doesn't care. Yes. It's your relationship to your body. And so you can thrive and you can, you can sexually thrive in your forties, fifties, sixties, and even your seventies. I have women in my program who are in their sixties. I have clients in their sixties who are having the best sex of their lives, the best orgasms of their lives. And they say, ha, 30-year-old me, she knew nothing. She knew absolutely <laughs> nothing. And she was just worried about irrelevant things and trying to please everyone. I have fully come into my sexual power as of, you know, the last two years or lately or recently. I'm having the best sex of my life. And if we don't mm. hear these women and if these women aren't represented, their stories and their, their sexual agency and vitality and just their sexuality in general, that it's actually existing, their existence, then we think we're, we're sexually doomed at 40 or as soon as there are some wrinkles or as soon as we give birth or as soon as, God forbid, your waistline should widen. Who the fuck cares? Honestly, <laughs> like, why is it so important? It fucking baffles me. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But we live in a very thought-concentrated society, in a really form-fascinated society. And, um, and yeah, I guess, you know, that's why. And so I just want you to know uh, you can sexually thrive at ages you thought were sexless or sexuality, mm. like, dead. And it's possible. Mm. And part of it has to do with 
um, your personal maturity. So a, a woman, uh, you know, moving through adolescence and all of that, you don't learn anything. There are no role models. You kind of figure it out. Maybe you're lucky. Maybe you're, you're not. And most young women start to feel more sexually confident in their 20s. I was 28 when I started my sexual healing and expansion journey. Would I want to be a 20 year old for the rest of my life? Absolutely not. Like that, that would be absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> uh, and sexually, absolutely not. And so if I'm, I'm 36 now and 10 years from now, I look forward to that because there's so much growth and there's so much sex I'm going to have until then. And there's so many things that are going to happen that help me mature as a woman. And when I mature as a woman, and as a person, if I want to, I I can also include my sexual maturity yes. in my, in my growth journey. Um, mm. Does that mean that sex is always good? Does that mean that you always have sex? No, absolutely not. Like what we just talked about seasons. Sometimes seasons can last for years. Sometimes you go through, illness or depression or you're simply too busy or motherhood or you're depleted you're burnt so it doesn't mean that you're always going to have sex but it means that you can see that there's like your sexuality is an ally or it has an existence it has a it has a, a lifespan or a life expectancy until you die like you are yes. you are literally sexual until you die um, and the negative or the very limiting limiting social beliefs and the social narrative we have around it is it's absolutely unnecessary and it's very detrimental. Mm, preach, hey, mama, to that. Yeah, I say, are you are we wisening or are we withering? And I think it points to an important point you brought up earlier about pleasure sovereignty and sexual sovereignty. Because if we are under the guise of this cultural indoctrination that our pleasure is something we give or something we have to beg for or a bargaining chip or whatever it is, versus this soulful home and relationship we've cultivated, as you say, when we have sovereignty in relationship to our pleasure, then yeah, we're knowing ourselves better. We're wisening. We're not waiting for the world to water us or our pleasure or our sexuality because if we are then we might wither and so yeah it's so beautiful this idea of um thriving at any age or as I say wisening versus withering so thank you it's such an I love that topic yeah yeah and don't one wait way for the to, world to water you yeah and one way to <laughs> wisen as you age sexually so it, it, a very practical, important way to to do that is to actually engage sexually with yourself and allow your sexuality yes. to change and shift, shift because you will have seasons as well. And maybe you're promiscuous when you're young or maybe you enter a promiscuous phase when you're older or maybe, you know, for me, the last seven years have been about really finding and expanding my pleasure. And I feel the next seven years of my life will be really, or the next phase, maybe it's not seven years, but the next phase is really about understanding who I am sexually. Like it comes, it ties that back to that identity thing that we talked about in the very beginning. And so you'll have different phases in your life, just like you explore different, you know, career paths or different things, hobbies, whatever. And so if you see your sexuality as, 
as a um, a thing that you can actually work with and maintain and cultivate, then it's going to shape and sh- and change. It's going to shape shift and change and evolve with you. And um, and you you have something yes. to look forward to. It, it I think it feels really inspiring to just know that there are women who are sixty and seventy years old who are having a really good time sexually. That makes me feel like okay, I don't mind getting older. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and there's something to look forward to. 100%. We don't highlight that enough about ripening, wisening, aging. Like yeah. the, we our culture is very obsessed with avoiding, disassociating and highlighting the, the quote unquote negative aspects versus celebrating. Um yeah. so thank you so much for bringing that work to the world. Uh I'm curious how did speaking of different cycles of life and how that impacts your sexual identity and the season you're in how did becoming a mother impact your sexuality what did you learn about yourself through that sexually I very you know so being a sex coach working with sexuality um having tools and practices and with tools i don't mean like sex tools i mean like mental <laughs> emotional <laughs> like those kinds of tools practices mm-hmm. um internal tools like breathing and sounding and those kinds of tools i very intentionally prepared for birth and motherhood through my sexuality so with my sexuality so um i used i did pleasure practices different kinds of sexual practices sensuality practices to prepare both for the physical aspect of giving birth but also for the identity shift um from being well a woman to expanding into including mother to my identity and and so I had a pretty a pretty smooth transition into motherhood sexually. Uh, mm. I think very much thanks to that preparation and that mindful, intentional weaving of sexuality into the birthing experience, but also into my motherhood identity. Rather than separating myself and my sexual identity and burying my sexual identity to step into motherhood, I felt like I invited motherhood into me or infused motherhood with sexual and erotic qualities. So I was very horny days after giving birth. Um, I also had a very... (laughs) a very uh, non-complicated vaginal birth. So n- no um, no tears, no, no physical or emotional traumas and a uh, very positive experience. In fact, it was quite an, an ecstatic and orgasmic experience. And so I felt like I was kind of just like riding a wave into, into motherhood. Some ways that it actually, and I I hear other women saying, wow, this happened to me too. I've never heard anyone say this. And so I say this just to hopefully maybe normalize what other women have experienced but didn't know was actually a thing, was that during my vaginal birth, I felt that uh, experiencing the descent of my, my child through my vaginal canal, it actually activated my vagina in, orgasmically. Uh, obviously it stretches the vaginal tissues quite intensely 
and it pressed it pressed on points inside of me specifically my my g spot and i don't like calling it a spot because it's actually an area that's like two inch long so yeah it's like a tube yeah and and so it massaged and stretched this different areas inside of my vaginal canal and i felt that it activated me sexually it actually activated new experiences of pleasure in my in my vagina that before mm. weren't as articulated in in my in my experience so g-spot orgasms and squirting became stronger and more prominent for example um and so that's kind of nice also as a yeah. different message to like yeah <laughs> my gosh thanks. vaginal birth Thank doesn't have to destroy your vagina it can yeah. actually activate it um wow thank you i yeah. need to hear that I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yes yes there's so um, many messages of fear you know um around giving birth oh why yeah. do you think that is that there's like because you talk also about like orgasmic birth um, yeah can you speak to a little more about that how do we how do we have one of those <laughs> well it's it's applying the same the same tools it's basically looking at or thinking about um birth as a sexual experience Mm. that can help you have an orgasmic experience just in short um because you you need safety you need privacy you need intimacy uh and you can you work with the with the same tools that you work with in your sexuality like breathing sounding movement energy focus intention and being really embodied and working with your birth experience in a meditative state and when you cycle and move that energy and if you add you don't even have to add touch physical touch intimate sexual touch to your experience they can feel super ecstatic um people who run marathons have like running like ec ecstatic experiences right extreme mm -hmm. sports can feel ecstatic and orgasmic um you can I have, have orgasms you know, in the gym. If you follow me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about this see, before. <laughs> there you go. Gym orgasms. I was just going to say, uh, even Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about the pump feeling orgasmic, right? <laughs> yes. I know exactly the clip you're talking about. <laughs> yes. So if we yes. can, if we can separate orgasm and, and ecstatic experiences from sexuality, we can see that things can feel orgasmic even if they're non-sexual or non-erotic. Yes. If you then apply that lens to giving birth and you're uh <laughs> and you remember that, hey, it's actually like including your sexual genital, like all your sexual organs are included in giving birth, um, then you can see how it could actually feel ecstatic. And it doesn't just have to be about pain and negativity and fear. If you, if you eradicate the fear, then what you have is an instinctual woman who, or person, but their instincts, intimacy, uh, hormones and chemical substances in the body, like endorphin, uh, serotonin, oxytocin, amazing chemicals, right? All that the make good us, stuff. <laughs> all the good stuff. So it's basically the same hormones during birth as it is during sex so it's all about context mm. perspective 
and um, and preparation, um, and environment and support, and mm. and it can feel it can feel ecstatic in a kind of pleasurable way, but it can also feel ecstatic in a transcendental or uh, like mind altering, self altering kind of way. So it doesn't have to be just because it's orgasmic doesn't mean that it has to be pussy orgasmic or like pleasure orgasmic. It can be yes orgasmic in the sense that you are in a flow state in a transcendental state that you are one with your experience and and also because birth activates all these hormones and kind of shifts the the brain you know chemistry or whatever uh it it's it's a very primal and meditative state that you can enter um yes. so yeah so there's that but m- Back to your your initial question around sexuality and motherhood. So initially didn't impact me that much. And then I think what I've been, I've been struggling with some parts of my sexuality. I'm actually, so I, I like to be transparent and honest. And my sexuality isn't perfect. Um, it's not problem free. I have fights with my husband because sometimes because we mismatch or we want different things and there's misunderstandings or uh, I'm in winter, he's in summer, or he's in fall, I'm in spring and um, mm-hmm. there are things or I'm tired of, uh, you know, feeling touched out, all of those things. Um, but what, what I did during the, the first two years of, well, basically the first year of my son's life was that I really actively kept cultivating that sense that motherhood and sexuality and my sexual identity could live, that it could be an and experience rather than or. So I could be a motherhood mother and be sexual and they got to coexist, but I just had to figure out how to move through the different stages. Dates and uh, know how to healthily separate them and infuse them into one another. Um, mm. But it's been challenging as well. It's been it's and why I speak so passionately about aging and why why it's such a passion topic for me is because I saw my body change and I've I I, I felt like I aged ten years on a soul level. <laughs> like, I went through lots of different uh, really challenging experiences that impacted my sexuality and that impacted me. And so, and what I've, what I've come to realize is that, uh, it, it is, it is hard. It is hard to maintain that feeling of, I get to prioritize sex. I get to prioritize being selfish. Um, when there's a lack of time for really nourishing yourself and taking care of yourself as an individual it negatively impacts your sexuality and your willingness to give and open and receive sexually with a partner. Um, that like spon- not spontaneous because sex is not spontaneous. So it's not usually the, it's not the word I want to use, but just that, uh, like that erotic, really like, mm, like can't think of anything else I'd rather do type of energy. Yes. Yes. It's like I have to dig deep sometimes to pull that out. And sometimes I don't find it. And I'm like, I have to fake it till I make it because I mm-hmm. know that it's in there some somewhere, but it's sometimes really hard to find it. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking about this because I think, yeah, it isn't spoken about often enough, but 
having that devotion is what I'm hearing you say is really where it's at. And sometimes it isn't easy, but I think a lot of us society sets us up in all different directions to want the quick fix, the fast, like take a pill and it will just be this way or whatever it is. And it's like, I think the theme that has been a thread through this is this idea of just like, am I devoted to my pleasure? Am I devoted to, and, and what I was also hearing you talk a lot about is like for yourself first, like this relationship to sexuality and pleasure that you have as a part of your relationship to yourself and a devotion to cultivating that relationship. Um, so, so powerful. I feel like we could go on forever because there's so much juice here but we're about at time so we're going to move into rapid fire uh if that feels good yeah it does one last thing that I just want to say and this might be might sound provocative and it might trigger someone who's listening and that's a good thing is that pleasure is for you and it's for yourself and then when it comes to your sexuality and the relationship dynamic I want you to just think about can I feel like pleasure is for me I am my children's mother and I'm my partner slut. Like, yes. That kind of- <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all for you in the end. Yeah. And it's a given. All those receive, archetypes just, get to play. Yeah. It's like having that kind of vibe of like, I am still that slutty or like, I'm my partner's whore or my husband's slut. I'm, and I'm my children's mother and sometimes I tell my partner you know I can feel my uh, blockages inside I ask him specifically when we have sex or when we do I say tell me that you respect me tell me that you know if I let go you're gonna still respect me as my as you know as your wife and as your as your 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 children your 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 child's mother and he says yeah and more like I I respect you when I see you uninhibited I respect you so deeply when you when you let your slut and your inner whore out like I love her yes and it's not about having getting his permission but it's feeling a kind of recognition or just a it adds a level of safety to it that can feel really really validating and really powerful so um, the support because otherwise like. we feel like we need to be with strangers or someone that we don't are that we're not so intimately and deeply invested in and have children with and that we are sharing so much like responsibility with to then also be the slut and the whore in that relationship it was easy in the beginning when it was like a kind of surfacey relationship but with all that weight and all the roots to then be a to embody that slutty archetype and really let that out that can feel so jeopardizing to the relationship yes and to how your partner is going to see you which you know the whole madonna whore thing so yeah that's where i just want to end that oh my god thank you doesn't that sound fun everyone listening yes it is Yeah, juicy. Yeah. All right, beautiful. So just a quick note here, as we move into rapid fire, it tends to be pretty process oriented and not that rapid fire. It's like tantric fire questions. (laughs) So take your time. Okay, Um, What book do you gift to people the most or recommend? A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm, Such a good one. If you could choose your last meal on earth, what would it be? (laughs) Butter. Such a common answer, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Is it? What would be the vehicle for your butter? 
mm, well, actually, no, my last meal. Oh, that's a hard one. Could be a big old I want to say, <laughs> I want to say like, like, like cheese melts, like toast. But I also feel like, oh, like perfect, like uh, Angus or like some beautiful meat that just like melts in your mouth. I'm a, I'm a meat eater. So, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I would probably say cheese melts and high quality steak. Ooh, that's a party I'd come to. <laughs> What's the most important thing for successful relationships in your opinion? Flexibility. Mm, yes yes someone comes to you and they're feeling really down but you can only give them one piece of advice what do you say dance yes I've actually danced with you before (laughs) yes Uh, we have similar taste in music (laughs) what is your favorite thing that you own the favorite thing that I own My sexuality. (laughs) Good. Love that answer. If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? Horse. Yes. If you could have a superpower, what superpower would you have? Uh, To be able to speak any language. Yeah, that'd be a nice one. Yeah. If you had to have a totally different career to the current career that you're in, you're in a parallel universe, you're already fulfilling this career, what would be your career that's totally different? Uh, what's the, I don't know what it's, is it called speed racing? Um, like cars that drive on like dirt roads. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Where you go on like. Yeah, yeah, I know. And you you have a you have a code like a co-person reading the map. Yes, and you yeah. got to go like across crazy terrains and all that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, love that. <laughs> and this is the last one. If there was a universal universal answering machine that everyone in the world and the cosmos would hear, and you could leave a fifteen second note on it, what would you say? um that's um i would say change is inevitable Mm. you are more than your thoughts hmm You are a body. You don't have a body. Mm. And pleasure is beautiful. Hey, Mama. Thank you so, so much for being with us today and dropping your incredible wisdom. Where can people find you and connect with more of your work? I have an Instagram account. I'm always shadow banned, so you have to type in usually my full length handle name. It's Erica Osborne. 
E-R-I-K-A-A-L-S-B-O-R-N. Um, mm-hmm. I have a website, ericaalsborn.com. I have a podcast called Yes, Please. Yes, yes. Um, and a Facebook group for women called Pleasure Rebels. So nice. that's where you can find me. And... Uh, and a very wonderful newsletter. So if you go on to any of those places, you'll find where you can sign up for my newsletter, where I send weekly, informative, educational, poetic, sex positive, sex encouraging, pleasure positive stuff. Um, yes. So yeah. And courses and coaching and all of those things. Beautiful. Thank you, Mama. Go and follow this woman on Instagram right now. I follow her and I enjoy it so much. A beautiful, informative, inspiring page for a beautiful, informative, inspiring woman. We'll see you guys next week. That's it for today, Awakened One. And just a quick thank you from me. Thank you for gifting us with your most precious resource, your time and attention so that we can make this world a more awakened place. And if we're not friends on Instagram yet, then we absolutely should be. So come on over and say hello at Angelica Alana and I'll see you there and see you next week.